The good people effect is something very special that happens when we surround ourselves with the right people to help us grow. The show is based on three main pillars, which are creativity, adventure, and purposeful living. My intention is to create positive momentum in the direction of real human growth. And I believe by taking a glimpse into the lives and minds of good people through deep conversations, we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to immense growth that can be later injected back into this crazy world. This is more than just another podcast. It's an energy of intentional growth that's been manifested from the beauty of the creative spirit, the call for adventure, and the power of purposeful living. Welcome back to the show, guys. Today's guest is Jaquette Timmons, and we're going to be talking about the human side of money. So Jaquette runs these amazing dinner parties in New York, and they talk about finances, and I thought, um, why not you know, throw some good information out there around finances and maybe more about the human side of things and see if maybe that could help some of you guys out. Uh, so I'm not going to give too much more away, but that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today on the show. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, it was actually with Gerald Tidwell, who's one of the most vibrant characters I've ever met in my life. And he's really got such a you know beautiful way of looking at life. And we talk about the obstacles you face in life and and kind of the outlook that you choose to adopt. So if you haven't already, check out last week's episode with Gerald. And if you're enjoying the show, consider hitting subscribe and telling someone about it. Tell someone about the show that you think might enjoy it and help spread the good people effect out there to as many people as we can, I think. Um, yeah, that's all, I gotta, that's all I've got to say about that one. Let someone know about the show. Let's get into this chat with Jaquette. I hope you get something out of it and uh, enjoy. For the listeners out there that haven't heard of you, would you be able to tell me a little bit about uh, what you do because I've uh, um, I guess I'm going to put together an intro for this episode and I'm definitely going to tell people that you you like to um, discuss the human side of money but could you go into a little bit deeper into what that means and, and what what else is going on yeah um, I work as a financial behaviorist and as you mentioned that it you know involves focusing on the human side of money which is really getting people to pay just as much, if not more, attention to their, their, their choices and their motivations as they do to the numbers. So I never want anyone to think that the numbers don't matter because they do. But just crunching the numbers, it's not going to lead to financial success. And just crunching the numbers is not going to help you move from where you are wherever that might be to where you want to be, wherever that might be. So, you know, we're recording this on a particular date, you know, and people are where they are in terms of how much they're earning, how much they're saving, investing and spending and all of that. And whether that future is a week from now, year from now, five years from now, 12 years from now, just, you know, putting the numbers in a spreadsheet and analyzing them that's not enough to move the needle to where you want to be. You really do have to understand the pattern of behavior choices and what drives that. Yeah. I found, I found that uh, that's quite an important thing just within my own life. Like I've noticed, I guess the emotions that come up um, when I think about money in certain ways and, and just kind of um, if you, if you're looking at just the numbers and not kind of 
the reactions and the other sides of things and, and, and um, the reasons for doing things and, and all the kind of complicated behaviors that are tied into money, um, it, it, allow, it kind of stops us, sorry, from um, getting a, a better picture of what's really going on. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what I am looking to do, whether I am working one-on-one coaching, and I do that for singles, couples, and entrepreneurs, so a for-hire speaker, so law firms, corporations, conferences, nonprofits, made out money. And regardless of what title may be the title of the talk, they're bringing me in because of my particular focus lens to exploring the psychology and the emotions of money. And then I also host events. I have a dinner series called The Comfort Circle, where we get together and talk about money, business, and life over food and wine. And um, I also have a retreat, a pricing retreat for small business owners and entrepreneurs to kind of tackle how to price confidently, but how to price confidently in such a way that you're setting your business up, not just for its personal success as well. Because one of the things that I've noticed and have also experienced is that you can have a successful business as measured by, you know, profitability and positive cash flow. And yet you, you're, because you're not paying yourself on a consistent basis, you're not replenishing the savings that you've used to invest in your business, whether it's short term or long term. So oftentimes we, um, as entrepreneurs, are so focused on taking care of the business that we don't take care of ourselves and we mistake being able to pay our bills as taking care of ourselves. So those are the different ways in which I work with people on the human side of money and getting them to focus on, as I said before, their behavior and their choices. Yeah, a common theme that that seems to keep coming up is kind of figuring out what our own internal uh, meaning of success is and what we see as, you know, wealthy or being rich. How do we, do you, do you have any insight on how to, you know, how we might be able to better decipher what, you know, what we class as success to ourselves? Sure. Well, first, I think the one of the major distinctions, a culture, we have a tendency to conflate it and, and we do that um, at our individual and collective detriment, I, 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 I feel. And that is rich is all about income. And, you know, you can earn a lot of money. So let's say you're earning a million dollars. So that's a lot of money and in many people's eyes. But if you are spending a million and one, (laughs) you're still broke. (laughs) You're in debt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. You're broke and you're in debt. Um, And so the difference between rich and wealthy is that rich is really all about your income and what you're earning. And that is typically tied to you in some particular way, whether it's you in terms of your um, physical ability, whether it's you in terms of your artistic talent, whether it's you in terms of your, you know, uh, the ideas that you might be able to come up with. Whereas wealth is all about assets. Wealth is all about what do you own. And, and surely you need, I think what people uh, often misunderstand is that you can be rich and not be wealthy, but it's very difficult to be wealthy and not be rich. Unless, of course, you have inherited that wealth, but that's a different conversation. Um, 
But wealth is all about what is it that you own. It's an asset. So whether that's a business, whether that's income producing real estate, whether that's investments in the stock market, that's financial wealth. And, and I would also argue that, you know, there are different dimensions of wealth, right? There's, um, there's the financial wealth, which we've just talked about. There's social wealth in terms of relationships. There's time wealth in terms of having flexibility and freedom. There's physical wealth in terms of just your overall health. And then I would also add to that, there's emotional wealth. And I think often when we're thinking about wealth, our natural tendency and go-to is to just focus on the financial part and kind of you know skip over all of the other dimensions. And I think those are, are important as well. But if I can just share an, uh, an interesting story, an interesting anecdote is that Several years ago, I did a financial workshop for some professional athletes, and <laughs> I had the nerve to say in front of these uh, folks who, you know, and they were guys who just signed like, you know, multi-million dollar contracts. Like one person probably did like a $5.6 million contract, and I had the nerve to stand in front of them and say, you were rich, but you were not wealthy. And I did that on purpose to just kind of plant that seed in their minds that, yes, this is probably the most money you've ever seen, you've ever ever had and that does indeed change your tax bracket and it does make you rich but don't confuse that with being wealthy and I wanted them to really embrace that so that they would think differently about their money and have a different mindset about it and then hopefully make different choices mm, so if there's all these kind of uh, forms of wealth as you put it um, to be you know time rich to have great relationships to have uh, a money bank money in the bank account and to um, you know have a certain level of freedom and there's all these different forms um, of wealth more than just what the average person would kind of consider to be wealth how do we how do we decipher all of that how do we figure out you know this is this is the kind of um the this is what i need for me to to um exist in a way that i i feel is like um the way i want things to be how do we how do we put it all together because it can it seems quite overwhelming Yes, it does seem a little bit overwhelming, but I think part of it is that oftentimes we haven't yet quieted down the outside noise to really kind of sit with, well, what do I want? Yeah, and I purposefully paused in, in that moment because oftentimes we don't ask ourselves what do we want, we don't ask other people what do they want and give them that space to actually contemplate it and then think about what their answer is. We Culturally, we have this tendency to be in constant movement and to think that if we pause for a moment, that somehow or another, uh, taking that minute to pause is going to interrupt the path from getting from point A to point B. And so it, it's overwhelming because it requires us to do something that is not in alignment with the message that we often get, which is to hustle, 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 hustle. And in order for you to understand what are those different um, elements of wealth for you, you got to get quiet and you got to really ask yourself those questions and be comfortable then with those answers. If those answers tend to be counter to what perhaps may be the, the circle that you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. and and if if say you were to quiet your mind and have a think about it for yourself what what do you, how do you see wealth 
for your own personal self? Oh my goodness. Um, I see wealth as a being completely debt free. So finally like getting rid of that darn college student loan from grad school Um, and a few credit cards as well. I see that as a part of being wealth. I see, um, having an investment property as a part of being wealth. I see having the flexibility to um, travel more than I currently am. I see wealth as having a business that helps me to meet my revenue goals in a nine-month cycle as opposed to 10 months. Um, I see wealth as being able to give more to the organizations that are important to me. I see wealth as um, spending even more time with the people that I care about. And, you know, I, I think I, pretty, I do a pretty good job already in terms of the physical and spiritual. I, those things are like they are just so embedded in me so like i'm an avid runner and there are very few weeks where i go more than two days without running um i meditate and journal more days out of the week than not so i think i got that piece um under control for me but i think those would be the things that i would want to um have more of in terms of in the wealth column yeah yeah and I, I definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, you know, your dinners that you, that you dinner parties that you hold, the comfort circle, and about your, you know, how to price your genius retreat. But first, like, I kind of want to just look a little bit further into, you know, any ideas you might have on, because a lot of the things you mentioned don't have to do with money. Like any ideas you might have on how we can maybe move towards living a richer life without putting so much emphasis on money. Well, I think that the thing we have to remember is that most of the things that we want or need to live whatever kind of lifestyle that we want or or need to is going to require money. So in no way am I trying to advocate that money is not important. What I want people, though, to understand is a, you've got to give money some direction. You've got to tell it how is it that you want it to show up in your life. And you do that by being clear about how much do you want to save and why. How are the different ways in which you want to invest it and why. How is it that you want to spend it? And also, how much do you need to earn to make that happen? And if you notice in terms of when I ticked those off, I said intentionally, how much do you need to earn to make it happen? And for many of us, what we've been conditioned to do is we make decisions about saving, investing, and spending based upon what we earn. And oh, by the way, typically after we've paid all of our bills, as opposed to defining what it is that we want money to do for us, what is money's role, and then asking ourselves the question, well, what do I need to earn to make that happen? So it... I may have, you know, initially ticked off a lot of things that quote unquote don't have a lot to do with money in terms of the verbiage that I used, but yes, rest assured that in order to do any of that, (laughs) you need money. (laughs) Money is the fuel for that. 
Um, and I often say to people that, you know, behind every goal that you have, more than likely, there is a financial component to it. And so a part of giving money direction is understanding what that financial component is and then knowing how are you going to save it up and what are you going to do with what you saved up. I, I feel as though it's it's definitely true. Like money is a tool and it's needed in this world to not only survive but to also thrive. But I feel like because of, you know, the way the world's going and, and kind of this new world, crazy world that we live in, it, it sometimes becomes easy or tempting to you know, uh, maybe put too much emphasis on money or focus maybe a little bit too much and be a little bit consumed by the idea of it. So although it's definitely necessary and it's definitely, you know, I think great advice to be able to put your, you know, ducks in order and figure out how much is going out, how much is coming in, um, different ways of making money and how you can, how you can actually have it work for you rather than the other way around. Why do you feel like sometimes we kind of, you know, it's possible to to be able to kind of get swept away or just too focused on just making money and everything else kind of becomes a bit of a blur sometimes? Well, I think part of it is the messaging that says that there is a one size fits all financial solution for everybody. Mm. And I think that what that takes away from is again the whole idea of you know setting aside the time for introspection so that you can figure out what is it that you really want right like what does financial success mean to what does financial independence mean to you and without that introspection so that you can be able to determine that then you do indeed get caught up in the frenzy of whatever the one size fits all message is and therefore you're constantly a, comparing yourself to other people and what they have and what they don't have, and you don't have a satisfaction with what you do have and with what efforts you currently are putting forth. And so when we are eyes wide open and we're looking at what other people have to really figure out what is it that you are content with and wherever there is some discontent, be really clear about whether that's something you really want. Or is it something that you want simply because someone else has it? Because the other thing that we often don't take into account is the trade-off, the cost. There's a cost for absolutely everything. And you might be looking at someone else's life and what they have, and you might say, oh, I want that. But if you knew the choices and the sacrifices and the trade-offs that they had to make to make that happen, you might change your mind about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's, there's that piece, right? And then I think the other piece, you know, in terms of tying this all into where we are now, what I think is so unfortunate that for some, the messaging is that, you know, capitalism is bad. And I don't think capitalism is bad. If we did not have capitalism, I wouldn't perhaps have my own business. A number of other people that I know wouldn't have their businesses. People that you know might not have theirs. Our form of capitalism may not be perfect, but it is what gives us the ability to start a business because we have an idea, because we see a need, and we're like, hey, I can fulfill that. So I don't think that capitalism is bad. What I think is bad, though, is when some who engage in capitalism do it at the expense of other people. So it's profit above everything else as opposed to 
thinking about how can I be of service and be of service, not just clients, not just to my stakeholders, but to service for the, in, in service, I should say, for the greater good. So that at all times, you know, what is best for everybody is taken into consideration as opposed to let me just focus on a narrow group and extract as much out of that as possible and the heck with everything and everyone else. Yeah, so I, I guess it kind of comes back to your retreat in a, in a way and, and kind of pricing your genius. It's like you need to be able to make enough money so that you survive, but at the same time, you don't want to be doing that at the expense of others and you want to be making sure that, you know, uh, there's some form of service there as well because that uh, fills your internal fountain of wealth up in innumerable, you know, different ways. If you're actually, you know, serving and, uh, you know, helping other people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember saying um, in another conversation, and I know the, the grammar is not proper, but I think it proves a point. And the, the comment that I made was that you can do good and do good, meaning you can do well financially in your business. You can move beyond surviving to thriving. And at the same time, you can do well in terms of being of service to people that you serve and then also being of service to the broader, <laughs> the broader environment outside of those that you serve. Yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of going through a similar journey to that. Um, I just I just feel like in the beginning, it's quite hard to uh, survive, even let alone thrive, when you're when you're you know doing everything and putting all your energy into service. But I feel like it kind of, in a way, needs to be that way um, for things to come about in abundance later on down the track. What do you think? I. I agree, but here's the other thing that I think we have to be careful of because while, yes, I totally agree with you, the challenge becomes when we don't lift our heads up and realize, oh, I've crossed a threshold. I don't need to do that any longer. I don't need to give my business or this endeavor everything, including my future. So maybe I need to start focusing a little bit more on paying myself. Maybe I need to start focusing a little bit more on replenishing whatever savings I've used to build up this business, this endeavor to where it is right now. Maybe I need to start thinking about planting some you know, financial roots for the future. So yes, do I think when you're starting up, um, it is all about head down, figuring out, you know, how do you, how do you get this thing off the ground? How do you get from point A to point B? Absolutely. But the, the, the mindset and the pattern of behavior that carries you through that to where the tipping point is often not what is not what's going to help you to take it to another level beyond that tipping point. Hope you guys are enjoying this chat with Jaquette. If you are, please consider hitting that subscribe button, supporting the show, and maybe sharing it with a friend or two that you know might enjoy listening to. Uh, let's get back to the chat. Mm. Do you have any um, thoughts on fear, on overcoming fear? Because I feel like fear plays an interesting role when, you, when it's kind of combined with money. We're talking about surviving and thriving and living a life full of wealth. And so often I find that fear can kind of hold us back in a way. Um, and by 
I think a certain amount of it is good if we can transform it into things like motivation. But if we if we're continually um, drinking out of the pool of fear, I feel like it sort of stops us from having the energy and focus in a weird way of actually moving forward. Share a little uh, story to answer that question, and then I'll answer the question more um, directly. So uh, this is going back some years now, but I remember uh, taking a scuba diving course. And it was like a, I don't know, maybe like a three-month course here in New York. Um, I live in Brooklyn. And the checkout dives, well, I decided to do my checkout dives in the Caribbean because like, why do it here in the Hudson River? Like, that makes no sense. In the Caribbean? That sounds nice. No, no. So I, ch- I chose the Caribbean over doing it in the Hudson because like, why would you do that if you have a choice? Um, and that, might, that, that may, may not mean anything to listeners who know nothing about New York City or the Hudson River, but just imagine, yeah. <laughs> why would you want to do it there? Um, so anyway, I decide I'm going to go to Tortola to do my checkout dives. And um, for my certification, which is through um, National Association of Underwater, so an NAUI, uh, to, do, to go down 90 feet. And you've had to do open water exercises, and then you had to do these seven dives. So first dive went really, really well. Second dive, not so much. And my second dive, I was doing a backflip off of the side of the boat. And my mask came off. Like, I was just all discombobulated. And got it together, you know, demonstrated the things that I needed to demonstrate, and then got back up. And then I was nervous as all heck and was not interested at all in doing the third dive. And the dive master, who I will forever, ever be grateful for this message because for me, it extended beyond scuba diving. She said to me, the day you get on this boat and you are not a little bit afraid is the day you better not go diving. And she then said, use that fear to double and triple and if you need to quadruple track to make sure that everything is the way it should be. My problem was that after having a successful dive number one, I didn't do all the checkpoints that I should have done before dive number two. My confidence kind of made me cocky and got in the way. So what's my point in sharing that story? I don't think fear has to be a bad thing. I think, in fact, fear can be your friend. But what it, what, it, what it invites us to do, though, is to talk to it and say, okay, you're here. What are you trying to get me to pay attention to? And either it's a thing that you need to pay attention to because you might be harmed, or it's something that you need to pay attention to and you already have a game plan for how you're going to address it. And so you can say to it, as crazy as this may sound, thank you for, you know, tapping me on my shoulder, but I got this. And these are the things that I've done to take care of it. So I think the fear that we often feel when it comes to money and when it comes to the decisions that we are making about money is first we need to like figure out what is the source of that fear? And is it truly a fear that we have, or is it a fear that we have, uh, you know, embraced or 
um, assumed from somebody else or from family or, you know, what is the source of that? Because only then when you understand what the source of the fear is, can, then, can, can you then figure out well, what's the best course of action? And, and if you've already taken it and it's just that thing that's bubbling up as a reminder to make sure you've done what you should have done. So that's my suggestion when it comes to fear. And, you know, to give a, like a, an example when it comes to investing, oftentimes people will say to me, well, I don't want to invest in that because that's too risky. And that may be true. It may be too risky. And that, that does need to be dealt with. But what people often don't do is think about what's the risk of not doing anything. So when people say, oh, it's too risky to invest in the stock market, what's the risk if you don't? Because then your money is not growing as fast as it possibly could over the long term if you compare it to just keeping it in a savings account. So you're always going to have a risk, but it's the risk of, are you going to lose something or the risk on the opportunity of you not gaining something when it comes to money? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting when you look at things from that perspective. What, um, where has your scuba diving taken you? Have you, have you used this, uh, this accreditation and, and gone out diving anywhere else? Uh, yeah, um, a lot of different places. Well, a lot, a couple of different places in um, in um, in the Caribbean. So I've done Tortola, I've done Virgin Gorda, and I've done Jamaica and def- in different places in Jamaica. So I've done Negril, um, and actually, I didn't go. I didn't do scuba dive in Montego Bay. So Negril in Jamaica and Tortola and Virgin Gorda in the British in the British Virgin Islands. And which one was your favorite? Oh, my God. Tortola. <laughs> what did you see under there? Tell me. Oh, my God. Every, I, you know, I, oh, my God. Well, we named this one barracuda Charlie. <laughs> and we, of course, we have no idea if it was the same barracuda. But we kept seeing this barracuda. And we named him Charlie. <laughs> I, it, you know, have you ever gone uh, scuba diving? I've been once in the Great Barrier Reef at home and my ears were, were, I was struggling. I was struggling to equalize. I think that's what they call it. And it was, it was pretty bad for me. Yeah. But I, it was beautiful, but it was just a, a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, it's the most meditative state of mind, I guess, that I've ever been. And as I'm saying this, while Tortola, I would still answer your question, Tortola, probably because it was my very first. Mm. But when I went to Jamaica, I actually did a wreck dive and that's freaking cool. So, um, what's a wreck dive? Um, when you actually like dive and you go through a little shipwreck. So I, I, that's mm. what I was about to say. I'm sure they planted this ship there. <laughs> so you could do that. Um, but that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds like amazing. Did you find any treasure in the ship? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but it's so it's so beautiful. It's so 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 beautiful. And it, it's one of those things that the oddness of it all um even if you are someone that doesn't believe in a god I just wonder how can you not believe in something just being bigger than, than you, than us, when you just see the magnificence of all of that. It's just amazing. 
Yeah, it's it's a different way, though, I guess, to be immersed within nature. And I feel that every time I'm in nature. But I mean, underwater, the underwater world is kind of unique because it's we're so used to kind of walking around on land. And then there's, it's just like a completely new world under there with so many strange creatures and different colors and things going on that we couldn't even imagine. Exactly. Exactly. And the colors are just freaking amazing. It's so amazing. The one thing I haven't done yet that I, I would still like to do is a night dive because then you can see colors that you'd never see during the day. Mm, that would be cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting because it would be totally different and very, it sounds like quite a unique thing to do and maybe even a little bit scary. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back to um, your conversations that you hold and these these gatherings that you have, the comfort circle, I love the idea of that because I feel like you're bringing together people. So you, you, there's a there's either there's kind of like a you're holding a space for people to connect, which I think is always a great thing, and you're breaking down the barriers of fear and making kind of a comfortable setting for people to talk about money. My friends and I do a similar thing. It's not in regards to um, wealth or, or finances. It's it's called a conversation party where we get together and we just talk about random things, just have conversations. But I feel like this is this is very unique and you're doing it in, in New York, which is kind of like the epi- epicenter of kind of, you know, speed and city and, and this kind of co- totally opposite to this uh, natural world uh, underwater that we're talking about in a way. So it's interesting that you're bringing these people together. How did this idea come about? And um, yeah, how did how did you come up with the idea to hold the comfort circle? Yeah, so it was sparked by a conversation with a coaching client. And I share some demographic details um, only to pinpoint a point which is uh, she's a general counsel of a publicly traded company and we're working together and she's got an issue that is outside of my scope of expertise, but I know someone that can help her. So I make the referral and she connects with this person and they get her all squared away. So by the time we have our next session and she's, you know, filling me in and bringing me up to date and thanking me profusely, she then says, I don't know what I would have done if, if I didn't have you and if you didn't make this recommendation. Um, she then said, I probably would have just gone to the yellow pages. And I'm thinking to myself, what? <laughs> That's your option? <laughs> the yellow pages. <laughs> the yellow pages. Um, and of course, I did not say that. Although whatever I said after it, after it probably had that tone of really, um, but I didn't say that because I'm thinking to myself, wow, when you think about, again, the demographic that I've just described, why would that be your option? And then what she went on to further share with me was that, you know, she easily talks with her friends about sex, but she does not talk to any of them about money. Mm. And that was not the first time I heard it. But for whatever reason, it really landed with me and it landed with me in such a way of being curious around, well, what could I do to combat this? Because really what she was tapping into and saying is that she doesn't feel safe. She doesn't feel safe being vulnerable. She doesn't feel safe 
asking the questions that she has or letting it be known that there's something that she doesn't know precisely because of who she is and what she does and the expectation that, well, of course you would know because you're an attorney. And by the way, you're the general counsel of a publicly traded company. Of course you would know these things. And yet she did not. And so where can she feel safe to ask the questions that she has to reveal the things that she does not know? And I was just like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a little dinner series. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to create a space so that people can come together, ask their questions, you know, let it be known what it is that they don't know. And I'm going to make it easy for them. I'm going to make it easy for them because each dinner is going to have a different theme to reflect the myriad of ways in which money touches and impacts our lives and our business. I'm going to help them out because I'm going to come with questions and exercises. So it's casual because it's a dinner and not, you know, a formal workshop, but it is a curated conversation. And so that was um, my way of creating a space for her and people like her that could benefit from knowing that there was an option for them and get kind of um, help that they needed and wanted. And then also doing away with this, this, it's not really a myth. So I was about to say this myth that we don't talk about money, because actually I think we talk about money all the time. I just don't think we're having the right conversations. And so this was also a way of just trying to instigate the conversations that I think we ought to be having. So is it kind of like, walk me through like a night if you were going to do it specifically. So is, is it kind of like people, different people have problems and they meet at a place in New York, you go for dinner and then what they, the people with problems talk amongst themselves about ideas for solutions and things like that or like how does it work? No, so I'll use the upcoming dinner as an example. Okay. So um, we're recording this in September. The next dinner is September 23rd. And the theme is how to finish the year stronger. So the people that are attending that dinner are attracted to the theme because they want to know, well, okay, how do I finish the year stronger? So I have questions. I have exercises. Um, there, there is sharing around the table. But um, the sharing in this particular instance is going to be more around, you know, first doing kind of a brain dump of all of the projects that are, all of the unfinished projects that are on your list. And then as we're going through the dinner and we're going through the questions and we're going through the exercises, when that dinner is complete, they will have that one goal or that one project or that one decision or choice or conversation that they've been avoiding. They will have a game plan for how to take it to the next step and finish that before the end of the year or finish whatever portion of it that they can. Because not everything is designed to be done necessarily by the end of the year, but how do you make sure that you are advancing it forward and not losing momentum because it's, you know, the close, closer to the end of the year and real recognizing that it's September, but we don't really have four full months. <laughs> Even if you don't celebrate any of the fall holidays, you really probably have a good two and a half to three months to get it all done. So how do you prioritize and how do you, you know, move, move it forward, if not complete it? by the end of the year. When they're done with that dinner, they will have identified that thing and they will have identified the next step so that they're not stuck. 
So that's what it's about really um, when it comes to like getting a better insight into how to start the year strong or how to close this year off in the way that you would like is really just identification. So that's one. And then if we talk about a dinner that I did um, last month, that's where we kind of dove into, you know, well, are you wanting to be rich or are you wanting to be wealthy? So that was a more of a meta conversation in some regards, because it, you know, asks each person to define. And as you might imagine, you've got eight different people around the table. You're going to have eight different answers. Well, what does, what does rich mean to you? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Who in your life is rich and why is it that you admire that about them? Um, what does wealth look like? How does, you know, how does that feel? And where are you now? And, and we know, where's the gap between where you are and whatever your definition of wealth and whatever that visual is that you have of how that looks, where are you now versus where it is that you want to be vis-a-vis what you've just written down? And then what are some of the choices and, you know, the strategy that you might need to put in place, the choices that you may need to make to close the gap, the goals that you might need to create. So because every conversation is different, exercise is what are the different conversations within that dinner is different. But my, my goal is that, is that at the end of every dinner, you leave with something that you have to do as opposed to just having had a good conversation because I, I want you to have a good conversation, but I want you to have a good conversation that inspires action. Yeah. You want it to be productive as well as getting like um, a belly full of delicious food and having those connections. So it all kind of seems like a, seems like a beautiful kind of symphony that kind of comes together in a really nice way. And it, it just sounds like a great idea. Just coming back to the idea of kind of ending the year and starting the year because I find this fascinating and I think this this episode is probably going to be dropping around that time actually so it kind of works out well. How are you going to start your 2020 and do you have any kind of kind of insights or, or more kind of deeper tips on that? Um, well, interestingly, <laughs> I try to practice what I preach. <laughs> so I have actually started working on, you know, how do I finish the year stronger and how does that set me up for 2020? And so, you know, I just finished working with um, a coach in terms of putting together a strategy around uh, my content, for example. So speaking of the dinners, my dinner series, I I structure it much like a theater uh, company in that our season is from January to June. We take the summer off, although this summer I did do a private dinner. And then the season picks back up in September and we have a dinner in September and October. So I know big picture vision wise, what are some of the themes and topics that I want to cover? My strategy session, though, was around what are the topics within those topics, and then also how do I tie that into my podcast, which is a new endeavor that was um, launched this past April. So how do I, quote unquote, do more and yet at the same time do less? So for me, when I am you know, creating content that is around the theme of the dinner, that's one conversation in terms of, you know, blogging and emailing. 
another part of that conversation that goes a little bit deeper and differently is at the dinner. And then yet another form of that conversation is what I'm having on the podcast. So for me, planning out and knowing precisely not only big picture what I'm going to be talking about between now and April of next year, but also knowing each week what I'm going to be talking about. And that is what's kind of helped me shape how I spend my time and how I batch my time because, oh, by the way, in addition to doing what I've just described, I still have coaching clients and I still travel for speaking engagements. So um, I'm not adding anything new to my plate, but figuring out how best to maximize my time and, and my creativity and my focus. So that's how I am gearing up to um, finish the year strong. And, and that also ties to what we were talking about at the top, which is, you know, making that conversion from doing something strictly via email and moving it over into a membership site. That's also a part of this process. So those are the things that I'm doing to practice what I'm preaching. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of organization going on there and, and it sounds like you're really getting a good idea of what's happening and, and you're this is like September at the moment, so you're really um, setting yourself up for a good start to the year with a lot of good momentum, it sounds like as well. So good on you. That sounds amazing. <laughs> the game plan. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I still have, you know, that ever, ever ongoing challenge of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important one. <laughs> the closet's an important one and uh, I'm sure you <laughs> it's crazy in there huh? <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about uh, the deer at Isle Main because I've got I've got an idea you mentioned this story to me very briefly and I want to I want to hear a little bit more about it um, and in exchange I just thought of a story uh, about finances a personal story that I'm willing to share with you Awesome. All right. So dear Almain. Talk to me. Um, so I, I wrote a book called Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. And it came out in October of 2019. So this year we will be celebrating the 10th anniversary for its publication. So yay! But Dear Almain is special for a number of different reasons. Um, and yet again, it goes back to a coaching client. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't notice a theme here, um, I, I think that everything uh, kind of extends from relationships, whether it's an idea that stems from relationships or spaces that create the story that I'm about to share with you all stems from relationships. So I, um, and I went the traditional publishing route. So that meant that I needed to write a book proposal. And so I was writing my book proposal and I was just stuck, not making any movement. And I had a coaching client who was in town and, you know, most of my coaching is done over the phone. And, um, but she was in town visiting and we were getting together, not for coaching. We were just getting together to have a cup of coffee. So we're chatting and bringing each other up to date. And I happened to share with her when she asks how the book 
proposal writing is coming along, I tell her, it's not really coming along. And I just casually say, I think I just need a different environment. And so she goes, well, why don't you use our house in Maine? And I'm thinking, well, that's just a really generous offer. And I've never been to Maine. So <laughs> I go up to Maine. Dear Isle, Maine, which is absolutely gorgeous. And their house is on the water and one side of it, like it's either a door or a window. And outside, all you see are these big, beautiful trees and water. It's just stunning. So I'm in Deer Isle, Maine. I have no internet access. There's no TV. Um, and there's something else that's enough. There isn't that I think we would have normally. So there's no TV. There's no internet access. And I can't think of the third thing that there isn't. Maybe it'll come to me. But all of that is to say that I should have had minimum distractions, right? And I should have gotten a, write, a lot of writing done. Well, <laughs> in my mind, when I left there, I didn't get a lot of writing done. I come back to New York, and I was there for like seven days. I come back to New York, and I'm doing a lot of running around, having a speaking engagement, all that other good stuff. And um, I, at the time, was taking a Bible study class. And I remember speaking with my mother and running around doing all of my errands and, and talking about how, you know, I've got all this stuff to do and I need to catch up and Bible study class. And she's like, look, God knows your heart. Don't go to class. Do what you got to do. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's exactly the provision that I needed. So I get on the subway and I don't know if anybody listening has ever been in New York City in the deep of July when it is hot and humid as all get out and the subway is just awful. So I am on the subway. I've got on these beautiful pair of shoes. They are gorgeous, but they are killing my feet. <laughs> Not a good look. Um, and I get on the train and I look around and there are no seats. And I think that I am saying this just to myself, but apparently it's audible. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I am not standing all the way to Brooklyn. So I get off the train. I walk, and I'm going into all of these details for a reason. I walk further down the platform toward the back because typically that's the part of the train where it's less crowded and you can possibly get a seat. Another train comes into the station. I let that go by. Another train comes in. I get on. And there's this space. And the guy in, in sitting next to that space is like, ah, you're small enough. Come on and squeeze in. And so I do. One of the errands that I made reference to that I was doing was I was picking up a book called Thinking Like Your Editor. And it was suggested to me because, yet again, somebody was asking me, how's it going? And I told them. And they're like, why don't you pick up this book? This might help you. So I pull out this book. And as I'm flipping through it, the guy next to me says, so what are you working on? He goes, no one's buying that book unless they're working on something. So I tell him. And then he starts asking me all of these questions. And what I realized is that while I did not do a lot of writing while I was in Deer Isle, I got a lot of thinking done because every single question that he had for me, I had an answer and it just effortlessly, effortlessly flowed out of my mouth, to which he then responded, I am an editor at Simon & Schuster. I love your idea. 
I know the woman who wrote that book and she should be your agent. When you're ready, call me. What? What? <laughs> that was my Bible study class that night. <laughs> and so the student that I am, I did. And I kept, it took me six more months to get it together, but I kept him in the loop, giving him progress updates and all of that. He, um, so then when it was all done, I sent it to him. He liked it. He said, all right, give her a call and let her know. I give the first woman a call. And unfortunately, she wasn't taking on new clients at that time because her husband was unwell. So I let him know. And he said, no problem. Give this woman a call. So then I gave the, the second person a call and they indeed took me on. So they became my agent. And, um, and it's through them that I got a book deal with Chicago Review Press. And that agent that took me on to still go to Rich at the time was now President Barack Obama's agent when he was a senator and he wrote his first book. So yay, wow. yay, yay for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's so amazing. I mean, it's just these connections, right? It's just the, all about the relationships and something that's something I, I find really nice about this podcast because even the way we met through Charlie was great. And it's like you, you meet so many interesting people and you form these relationships and you never know, you know, who that person on the train could be that, you know, you engage in a conversation with and where, what path, what crazy adventure that might lead you down, you know? And, and that's so interesting. It's, and it's, it's fascinating to think about time uh, as being wasted when sometimes there's progress being made behind the kind of curtains that we don't even realize is happening. Exactly, exactly. And for me, when I think about relationships and I think about timing, that's what makes me recognize that some of this stuff is just bigger than me. Right? I'm just playing a role. <laughs> mm. I'm just playing. I have a part and I'm playing my role and hopefully I'm discerning enough to really know what my role is and to step into it fully. But that was one of those moments where I was like, this is much bigger than me. So much bigger than me. Yeah. It really makes you realize, doesn't it? <laughs> Now, what's your story? Because you said oh, no. uh, one for one. I, I share don't know a story if I can... for you. You share a story for me. I don't know if I could live up to the, the your amazing story. Mine, Yours is a, a happier story than mine, but I'll tell you anyways because why not? So, I'm, um, I'm driving home one day and there's a lady crying at the front of my house and she looked familiar and it actually happened to be a family friend of mine. And this kind of ties into one of my questions as well, but I, I just want to kind of... Um, this is a, a bit more of an intense, I guess, darker story, but um, I guess it's it's good because it shows the duality of things. So I, I'm driving home and I see this lady crying and ends up being a family friend. I recognize her after a couple of moments and no one's home. My mom's not home and I'm quite young at this time. I think I was like early 20s. And uh, I asked her what's wrong and I took her inside and I made her a cup of coffee and we had a chat. And I asked her straight away, I just had this feeling, I was just like, is it something to do with money? And she said, yes. And at the time I was working at a bank and I, and for some reason, it's pretty ironic, but for some reason I wouldn't leave my money in the bank. I had my money in my room. I, I kept all my savings in my room and I had about $9,000 saved at that time. So I had 
uh, this $9,000 kind of hidden away in a really kind of hidden spot, like really secret spot. So I had it like inside a closet under a chest of drawers and you'd lift up a flap of the carpet and underneath the floorboard, there'd be $9,000. So um, she said, yes, um, I've got some problems with money at the moment. She was just tearing up and my mom wasn't home and I had all this money in my room. So I was kind of like, um, maybe I can help you out. You know, how much, how much money do you need? And she was like, whatever you give me um, will be okay. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not willing to give her more than I could afford to lose or that I, that I would be okay if I lost. So I said, maybe $400, that, would that help you out? And she said, yes, anything you could give me would really help me out. So I ended up giving her uh, $400, but I, I walked to my room and she kind of followed me to my room, which was a little bit strange. And she was hanging out the front of my bedroom door. So I went to this spot, I got the 9,000, I took 400 out and I gave it to her. And later on that night, I was out uh, drinking with an ex-girlfriend and some of her friends, it was like her brother's birthday party or something and we we're kind of having a night of drinking. And we're enjoying ourselves randomly and I get a phone call from my mother at like 11 p.m. and she's like really upset that I lent her friend money and there's this whole kind of commotion going on. And what had happened is uh, my mom got home and this lady, this was hours after I'd left for the party, this lady had actually, she was in my bedroom with all this money and my mom told her she was like, uh, sorry, she told my mom, I'm just giving your son $400 back. So she had actually broken into the house, taken the $9,000 and counted out $400 and then given that back to my mom. And then take and then sat down and with the other eight thousand six hundred or whatever had a coffee with my mum and a conversation with her and then left the house and this was someone that like we regarded as like a really close family friend um, well my mum did anyway so I wasn't that close with her and I'd seen her from time to time but it was kind of like it was this big kind of betrayal right so then. Um, so anyways, I'm at this party and I just tell my mom, I'm just like, can you go into my room and check in this really weird spot and let me know if you see anything? She's like, nothing's there. So imagine someone told you all the money you have in the world right now is gone. And I just had this like crazy feeling of just like in my gut of just like pain and anger and all these kind of weird emotions. But somehow, I don't know how, somehow in this moment, I never used to meditate, do any of these kind of mindfulness practices or work on myself that much. This was, I was quite young. Somehow I was able to stay calm in the moment. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to have a big night. So we ended up going out and just like, I drank way too much and just had a ridiculous, like spent a ridiculous amount of whatever I had left because I thought, you know, kind of like, fuck it. It's like, it's all gone anyways. So what ended up happening was this lady was tied to some like bikey gang, like some motorcycle gang. And I don't know what the story is, why she needed money, but I get a phone call from her husband and, her, and this was the same night. And the husband was like, I'm um, telling me all these things like, we'll get the money back to you. There'll be a payment plan, all these kind of crazy stuff. And I just said to him, like, I really, you know, I want the money back tomorrow and that's the end of the story. And like, I've got no, I had no control over anything in that moment, but that's all I said to him. And what had actually happened is my mum went straight to her house, had a conversation with her husband, some things went down and then she got home with all this money. And my mum was like, I can't believe you betrayed me. There was all these tears, all this craziness going on. 
I, I, and I decided to sleep at home that night. So I went back after we went out drinking and I went back to my bedroom, went to sleep. And you know, when you kind of, you, you've had a, a big night out and you get home and you're kind of like dead to the world, right? And you need, you need a bit of recovery time. You need some sleep. And what happened was I woke up at like seven in the morning and she was in my bedroom, the lady that stolen the money. She was shaking me in my room, waking me up. And I just didn't know what to do. And my first response was just, I didn't know what to do. And I just like reached out and I grabbed her throat. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing? And then I let go and then she was like throwing um, money on top of me. She's like, it's okay, I've got your money here. And she started counting like $50 notes on top of me while I was sleeping. And then she kind of just left the room and I thought it was all a dream. It was really bizarre. And then a couple of hours later, I woke up in this pile of money and I couldn't really remember what happened the night before. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? And it all kind of came back to me and, and there was actually a little bit more than she took. She actually gave it back. But it's just an, a weird story I have. And it's like, wow. It's like, yeah, it's just something super strange that happened when I was younger. Yeah, but the money came back. I was super lucky and it worked out. But leave your money in the bank, guys. That's the story. That's that's the moral of the story, I guess. Oh, my God. That is the moral of the story. Have them, or, well, yeah, do leave the money in the bank because it's protected um, in, in, in many different ways. Um, or if you're going to lend it, don't have the person follow you to the secret spot. Yeah, that was a bad move. Yeah, you you weren't thinking that 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 she was like clocking you like that, but she literally gave you nine thousand dollars and she put it on the bed. Yeah, she like counted it out on top of me while I was in bed. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So, I, what did you learn from that story? Oh, I don't know. It was just it was just such a crazy thing to happen. I learned that, I learned that I'm pretty lucky, and I was really grateful for you know, whatever my mom said when she went to her house and, and the conversations they had and um, and even just the support of family. And I, I learned, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm get, It's an interesting territory when we talk about relationships and how that mixes with money and um, kind of, yeah, like how we, how when it comes to lending money or borrowing money or kind of um, discussions about money with family and friends, it's a very delicate thing. And yeah, I just I just learned to be super careful after that. Uh, yeah. So did it make you? So it made you um, a little more. But if if subsequent friends have come to you in a time of financial need, were you as willing to help them or did it kind of sour you to that? No, I'd definitely be as willing. I think it would just be, um, it would come down to how much I could give as well. It would, it would still be the same kind of thing, like how, how much could I give them um, that I can afford to lend really? And if it becomes like a habit or it depends, sometimes... I don't even want to know what they're using the money for, but sometimes I feel like it might be important to ask as well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> if anything, that is an amazing, amazing story, but a happy ending. Yeah, it worked out well. It worked out in an unbelievable way. I never thought I'd. Yeah, yeah, felt quite silly actually when it was all going down, and I felt like it was the worst thing ever. But it and it didn't end up working out. 
So, yeah, it's interesting when we talk about the psychology of money and, and how it can drive people to do certain things and who knows what else was mixed into that equation, whether it, it was gambling or, or drugs or who knows what. Um, but to be able to, you know, take money from someone that you consider a really close family friend that's done so much for you and then have a have a coffee and a conversation with, you know, with them, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Mm. Yeah, that is that that's a that's a that's a either a movie in and of itself or a, <laughs> uh, an episode in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So coming coming back to what we were talking about, um, you and you mentioned a, a really interesting piece of wisdom to me before the show. Uh, it was the problem you often see isn't the real problem. I wanted to know what you meant by that. Yeah. So. I'll give you a really good example. Um, 2018 was a phenomenal year for me. And it was phenomenal because I had some amazing first-time experiences. And what do I mean? So I've been speaking for a, a really long time. But last year was the first where I actually had a tour. I had two tours. For a law firm, I had a seven-city tour, which had me traveling across the, the U.S., traveling to their different offices, doing financial workshops for their associates and partners. I had another tour for another organization, and that was five cities. So from September of 2018 through December of 2018, I was on the road every single week, and I loved every moment of it. And... That did a couple of things. Number one, it gave me a new model for how to pitch because going back also again to relationships and then to paying attention, those ideas for the tour were not mine. They came from the client. So this was me stepping into listening to what the client said that they wanted and then creating what it was that they wanted to make that happen. So I was just like, you know what? I really dig this. I want to do more of this moving forward. So get into 2019. That becomes now my new uh, pitch in terms of speaking proposals. Do either multiple cities or multiple dates. Well, corporate speaking in that regard has a little bit of a lead time. <laughs> And I chuckle because anybody who's ever done that knows that that's really an understatement. So let's just say it's taking a little bit longer to get that up and going um, for even more companies, if you will. And what I realized is that in all of the fabulousness of what I've just described, what I was not doing was new business development. So here I am getting into the first quarter at the end of the first quarter of 2019 and I'm like bummed because you know I'm not hitting my sales numbers and all of that and what I realize is ah oh, you're not hitting your sales numbers so that's the problem I can see but the problem behind that is that I was not doing any marketing while I was on the road so I was not sending emails. I was not reaching out to people on LinkedIn. I was not having as many discovery calls as I needed. So that's an example 
of the problem that you see, which is what typically presents itself. In my case, it was not having sales. For somebody else, it could be that they are overwhelmed by their debt or they're not earning enough and they're living paycheck to paycheck. But behind the thing that you can most easily identify as quote unquote the problem is the real problem. It's the thing behind it. And it's that thing behind it that we need to pay attention to and that we need to address. And when we do that, the thing in the front will automatically be taken care of. How do we find the thing behind it? You mentioned earlier, you've got like a a coach. Um, and what other kind of tools do you use to discover what that, what the real problem is? Questions. Questions are the best, the best. (laughs) It seems so simple and yet it's so really challenging, right? Um, Because one of the questions that I was asking myself is where can I be more resourceful? If I, if I adopt this idea that, um, it's not really that I have a money problem, it's a resource problem. So where can I be more resourceful? And then that's when I realized, oh, I need to start making some more phone calls. Well, so what does that mean? Well, you got to step out of your comfort zone because right now you've been relying and there's nothing wrong with it per se, but you've been relying on referrals. Well, the problem is you don't control when those referrals happen. So you've got to be out there doing things. So questions it's really it's 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 really the key and then in terms of what's the question to ask in my case it was how can i be more resourceful if you have debt the question is or one of the questions is do i really have a spending problem or do i have an earnings problem because some people will you know feel like oh my god i've got so much debt and i'm overwhelmed let me just cut everything out well at some point you eventually get to the point where you can't cut anything else out and you probably may still be overwhelmed. So then that means you really need to focus on how can you earn more, whether it's for a short period of time or whether it becomes your new normal. So that's an example of, you know, what kind of question to ask. Yeah. So it seems like you do a couple of very interesting things. I think one of the earlier things you said was having a conversation with fear or having a conversation with different sides of yourself to get to some answers. And, and, and now you're saying kind of asking yourself certain questions um, depending on what stage you're at to try to find out what the real problem is so that you can move past it. Um, can you give me a couple more examples of some of these questions? Because they sound great. Yeah. So, um So here's one. I have a a current coaching client who has a spending problem. And and when I say a spending problem, you you know, she's not going to go without any food (laughs) if she keeps doing this. But what she is going to end up doing, though, is not having as much as she will need in the future because she's not saving, right, to the degree that she is spending. So in her mind, she just has a spending problem. And if she just gets, you know, a financial software, that's going to help solve the problem. But really the question that she ought to be asking is why am I spending this money? So it's looking a couple, la- it's a couple layers deeper. You're asking yourself why a couple of times. Yeah. And so there's a void somewhere there's a void that that spending is filling. And so that's what we've got to tap into. Yeah. 
just just personally, I feel like at the moment, this point in my life, I've, I feel like I've got a bit of a making money problem. Like I went from a job that was paying me a ridiculous amount of money and now I've kind of I sold all my things and I'm traveling around trying to do what I really love and put that ground effort in like we spoke about earlier. Do you have any ideas on finding alternative ways to make money? Well, <laughs> here's an exercise to do. Create a mind map. I love me a mind map. A, I love a mind map. B, I love the process of visually thinking and visually thinking on paper. Even if you eventually migrate to using a mind map on your uh, computer, but you know, creating a mind map and in the middle of that circle, asking the question, "What are all of the different ways that I can generate revenue or make money? How, whatever language you want to use," and sit with that for a couple of days. And as ideas are coming to you, kind of have it be as a hub and spoke. Write those down. So, um, in your particular case, perhaps how I would even fine tune it more is, you know, how can I make. Um, or what, what are the different ways that I can make revenue while, while traveling? Mm. Because I, I would imagine you, you want to have that, um, what's that word, location independence. So what my suggestion would be is to actually draw that circle, you know, ask that question. And then as those different ideas are coming to you, have it be as a hub and spoke. And then once you've done that and you've let it set in for a couple of days, then choose the top three that really, really resonate with you where you won't mind investing the time to make the money. Because even when people talk about, you know, create something that's passive income, nothing is ever completely passive. You've got to do something. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, what you want to do is, you know, pick those top three things um, that you would really enjoy doing and then make those your priorities in terms of a diversifying your income because we should all do that. Even if like I do one thing at the end of the day, I do one thing, but my income is diversified because I've got the coaching pillar. I've got the speaking pillar. I've got the event pillar. Um, and so you want to look at what you are creating in the moment as you know, what are those things? And then what's the common thread between those things so that it doesn't necessarily feel like you're having three disparate conversations or, you know, doing three disparate things, but hopefully those th those three things feed into one and you're just doing them differently, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense, yeah. I've just had a struggle with thinking about money at the moment because I just want to put as much energy and effort into getting things off the ground. And I feel like in the beginning, that's what's just super important to me and making sure that people are looked after before I even consider um, myself or, or like kind of like what we mentioned earlier. Uh, but I feel like a mind map's a great idea Just um, and linking things up as well so that you know, everything's kind of interconnected in some way and that I can find that kind of support uh, that I will get to a point that I really need one day. I'm not there quite yet, um, but uh, that makes total sense and that's a great piece of advice. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And if I can add one other thing, and, and I think this is um, helpful for you, but I think it's going to be helpful for others listening as well, and that is to remember that being selfish is not selfish. Taking care of yourself financially is not selfish. Taking care of yourself financially it does not mean that you are not being in service and that you are not 
doing everything that you possibly can to grow your business. Because here's the other thing. If you are making too many sacrifices where you are struggling, and I'm not suggesting that this is you, but there might be other listeners that this may be their truth, where you are struggling to make ends meet and you're doing that because you think that that's what's going to help you take your endeavor, your business to the next level, you're not going to show up your best self. So I get wanting to bootstrap. I get wanting to be lean. And and I think that's smart, but make sure whether this is for you or whether this is for, you know, the broader listeners that this might uh, be more applicable to never have it be such that and, I, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, never have it be such that, you, such that you were giving your business everything, including your future. If you deplete all of your savings, because let me just back up for a moment. We have this narrative and this, it's a narrative that we celebrate. It's the startup narrative, right? Where we celebrate that person who was living on their friend's couch for six to nine months, who sold everything, who depleted their 401k. We celebrate that when that's a part of a story where there's success on the other end. What we don't hear often are the stories where that is where it ends and they don't replenish <laughs> their 401k or whatever. They don't replenish their savings. Um, they, it takes them forever to get back on their feet. And so as a culture, I think we've got to stop celebrating the, the stories that say, give it everything. Not recognizing that sometimes people get, give it everything and they don't have the success on the flip side. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think it's, it's very important to be smart about things and to, to make sure that um, you've got some kind of a plan in place and you identify areas that you can improve so that you can kind of um, find ways to do what you really love doing, but also make sure that you're covered financially and not kind of um, throw everything away and uh, leave yourself in a spot that actually probably makes it more difficult for you to chase your dreams. Yeah, totally. totally. It's, it's okay to, to, you know, leave a, leave a little something back or hold a little something back. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, definitely okay. I want to define that as, you know, I'm not going to spend down more than X from my savings or I'm not going to invest more than X. Like have some, I guess the word I'm looking for is boundaries. Like have some boundaries and also have a plan B and a plan C because life has a funny way of, you know, reminding us that we're not in control. <laughs> so we'll have a plan, but we haven't created a contingency plan for if that plan doesn't work. So do the scenario planning. So that if your initial plan doesn't work, yeah, you might be caught by surprise, but you won't be caught off guard and you'll be able to rebound a lot quicker with your plan B or plan C. Mm. So how can people find out a little bit more about the comfort circle and how to, how to price your genius, the retreats that you're offering and um, just find out more about you, Jaquette. How can I connect uh, the dots? No, thank you so much. Um, my site is jacquettesimmons.com and uh, you can follow me on social media. I am really active on Twitter or Instagram. So if you just put my name in the search bar for either of those, my respective handles will come up. 
And um, also your listeners might be interested in doing the financial wheel exercise, which is all about connecting with your financial vision. And that's free. And they can get that um, also by going to the website, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash wheel. Awesome. So I'm going to put all those details in the show notes section on the website. And if people want, they can jump on there and, and they'll find that as well as all the other things that we mentioned in our chat. Um, might put down those locations you mentioned in the Caribbean as well if people want to go for a bit of a dive. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Jacquette. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really good one today. <laughs> Yes, it has. Thank you so very much. I, I love uh, how the interwebs work. And I'm just so glad, again, that we are connected through Charlie. So thank you. I really appreciate it having this time to chat with you. Hope you guys really got something out of that chat with Jaquette. Um, check out all the stuff. It's really, really interesting and, and really helpful, to be honest. So if you go to goodpeopleeffect.com in the show notes section of the episode, You'll find all the information there. Uh, stay tuned for next week's guest. I'm not going to... Actually, I'm going to leave it a mystery. I'm going to leave next week's guest a mystery, but stay tuned and um, I'll catch you guys then. Have a good week. <laughs>